<laughs> okay, well, we are um, teaching through the book of Luke. We've been doing that really since kind of like partway through September. So um, Sarah's going to pick it up today. So I'm going to hand over to Sarah. Sorry, I have to choose whether I see this clearly and you blurry or the other way around. So you're all blurry, but at least this is clear. So um, today I've got the privilege of opening the Word of God to us and we're going to be looking at Luke 10. So if you have a Bible, please turn to the end of Luke 10, verse 25, where we have the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I imagine, I can see in the room, lots of you have been in church for a long time, because I know your story. And I wonder... How many times, maybe from Sunday school or youth work or in church, you have heard messages on the story of Good Samaritan and Mary and Martha? So just turn to the person next to you. Take a guess. How many times do you think you've heard someone teach on the Good Samaritan or Mary and Martha? Have a little chat. I'll ask you in a minute. That's really encouraging. Phil just said a lot, so this better be good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Phil. Did anyone get more than 10? I think they've heard it more than 10. More than 20. Okay. I thought that might be the case. So there's a theologian called N.T. Wright, and he said this. The best-known stories in the Bible are sometimes the hardest to understand. And perhaps when we hear this story, in our familiarity, it might mean we take a relaxed approach today, going, oh, I've got this story, I know what this is about. So what I want to do is I want to start with us opening our hearts to God, because when we open his word, he wants to speak. And so even if we feel like we know this story inside out, back to front and upside down, He is a God who wants to speak to us through this story today. He's a God who loves to reveal his heart to us today. So I just want to encourage you, if you're comfortable, you might want to put your hands out to him. or Whatever posture it is in your heart where you go, God, I'm open to hearing you. I just want you to encourage you as we just pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are a God who speaks to your people. So today we pray that you would take this familiar story that many of us have known for decades And you would reveal fresh truth about who you are and what you want to say to us as your people today. So we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. I just want to invite Tom up. Tom is going to read the passage to us. It's going to come up on the screen. The screen is in the NIV and Tom is going to be reading from the ESV version. I can try Dutch, but it will probably lose most of you. Um, Is it okay if I stand here? Absolutely, yes. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, him referring to Jesus. And he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Okay, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This man fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. <coughs> the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus finished the story and turned to the person and said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, Well, that's easy. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Okay, you go and do the same. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing only is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. When reading stories like this, because I am from the West... I will read it through my Western eyes. But when Jesus was telling this story, he wasn't telling it to Westerners. He was speaking to people who live in the Middle East. And as Vahe, Phil and I have been preaching through Luke, um, we found this, this book is wonderful. I just want to recommend it to you. Don't rush out and buy it. You're telling me how you re- buy every bit recommended. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And I think when we read a story like this, if we just read it through our own cultural eyes, we can miss the challenge and the beauty of what Jesus was saying, because we don't understand the context. So for the first bit of this message, what I want to do is just explain the context um, of this story, because I think it will help us to to see what the beauty of the story and the challenge of the story. So at the start, we see this lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus answers the story with a story in your Bible, which is probably called The Good Samaritan. Now, in this story, we see what, what is believed to be a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which are cities were about 27 kilometers apart. And the path is described as like a winding mountain road with kind of steep sides, parts of the journey. Um, and we find out that the man is attacked and he's beaten and he's left for dead. Now, a lot of what I'm going to just be saying is, is from this book, and it's, it's about the context of the story. So the first person that comes by is a priest. He's a Jew. He's from the temple. And he sees the man laying on the, on the side of the road. But because the man isn't, isn't wearing clothes, because he says he's been stripped, and because he can't hear his voice, he can't actually tell whether the man is a Jew or a Greek or an Egyptian or a Syrian. He can't tell who, what nationality this man is. Now, if he was a Greek or Egyptian or a Syrian, under the law, he had no responsibility as a priest to do anything to help. But if he is a Jew, what's the risk of him helping? Well, Bailey in his book says, well, if the Jewish man was dead and the priest touched him, the priest would become ceremonially unclean. He would have to go back the way he's coming, go back to the temple for a week-long process of ceremonial purification. Now, the Middle Eastern listeners would assume that this man had a, something, an animal on which he was riding because he was rich. So the, the priest could have chosen to transport this man if he'd, so, if he'd so wanted to. 
So even though that the priest had a means to help, he chose his own ritual, his own purity, ritual purity over God's law of love, and he does nothing, and he, and he passes by. Now, in the Jewish temple, there were three kind of almost levels. There was the priest, the Levite. So next it says the Levite came by. So he was an assistant to the priest, more practical than the priest. So the listener's expectation would be, he'll help. That's what they would have expected to happen. But as we know, for it doesn't actually give us the reason. Perhaps he was too busy with, his, uh, with kind of the things he needed to perform in the temple. Or perhaps he thought, well, if I help, but the priest hasn't, am I going to upstage the priest and how that look? We don't know. But whatever, for whatever reason, he also passes by, ignoring the call to love. Now, before we go any further, I, I just have a question for you. Like, can you think of a film that you have watched where there is a very sudden, unexpected plot twist? So as I was thinking about this, this does contain some spoiler alerts. So if you don't want to know the ending of some of these films, fingers and ears. The first one I thought of was in The Lion King, where we suddenly discover Scar's real intention to take over the pride and his role in killing um, in most Mufasa's death. But perhaps I think the most famous cinematic plot twist of all time is in Star Wars, The Emperor Strikes Back, where Darth Vader says to Luke Skywalker, I am your father. So when there's a plot, twist in a, a plot twist in a story, it's like the story's going this way and there's a sudden deviation. It grabs the listener's attention. It keeps audiences engaged because you want to know well, what, what's going on. And that is exactly what happens in this story. There is a major plot twist because all the listeners would think the priest has come, the Levites come, now the layman is going to come and be the hero in the story. But we all know that is not what happened but Jesus would have had everybody's attention not only was it not the layman that came to be the hero the hero who came to be in the story was a Samaritan now the Samaritans were long established enemies of the Jews one commentator I read said they hated each other like poison and the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that rather than going through Samaria, they would cross the Jordan River rather than going through the land of Samaritans to avoid any contact with them as a people group. And really tragically, don't we, today, we still see this hatred expressed in what we see happening between the Israelis and the Palestinians today. In this story, it would have been far more palatable for a Jew to help a Samaritan, but for a Samaritan to help a Jew, this was like... If we continue with the story, the Samaritan not only stops, but he uses his own resources, his oil, his wine, his animal, his time, his energy, his money, to care for this beaten Jewish man. And not only that, he puts his own life at risk by taking the Jewish man into a, to a Jewish inn where he himself was at risk of being attacked. He pays a really high price to help this man. Now, if this, if this like first story is like a shocking right hook to the listeners, the next story is like an, a left uppercut. The next story of Mary Martha is equally shocking. Well, it's not even a story. The next thing that happened is an equally shocking thing. 
Now, when you've probably heard the story of Mary and Martha, perhaps what you've heard, like me, is something along these lines. We shouldn't be distracted with tasks like Martha and miss out on being with Jesus like Mary. And I think we can teach that from this passage. And in fact, I'll be looking at that myself later on as we go for this message. But stories in the Bible often speak to us in different levels. And I, I didn't feel I could almost go for this message without saying what I believe is actually the main point from that story. N.T. Wright, who's a famous theologian, says that the message of this story is primarily about the boundary-breaking call of Jesus in redrawing the lines between men and women. So in the houses in those days, there was separation in the house for spaces where men could go and women could go. And Mary crossed the societal norms and went into a space which was for men. She was adopting a male role by sitting at the feet of Jesus as a teacher. She was taking the posture of being a learner and a disciple. And for Mary to do this comfortably among men was utterly scandalous. I think that this next bit, does it come up? I think I've got it here. N.T. Wright goes further and he says this. I think it's going to come up behind me. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself. There is no thought here of learning for learning's sake. Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher-preacher of the kingdom of God and Jesus affirms her right to do so. This story is another enactment of the, of the kingdom and Jesus is letting us know who the kingdom is for. It's very, yeah. Okay, so that's hopefully put it in a bit of context. So let's go to look at the learn. Before we do, I just want to... Um, at the back over there is Phil's big brother Graham and our niece Catherine. And at Christmas, we have the great pleasure of normally going to the house for Christmas Day. They are wonderful hosts. Some of the things that we do at Christmas, other people may consider to be slightly unusual. So each year for the last three years, we put on a musical production with music, props, a full cast it is wonderful, and different people play different roles. I play the role of official photographer and attentive audience member, and I do it marvellously. I'm not a big fan of acting, so I just like to encourage. Um, Graham is the director and often writer of the script, does a wonderful job. Phil normally plays the role of a strong male lead. <laughs> you do, you do, like a strong male you, To be honest, our family is fairly dominated. There's a lot of women, aren't there? So there's... You do it very well. Um, and Catherine often plays a lead role, but has been known sometimes to play more than one role. So sometimes if we're doing Oliver, for example, she might have a role, but also plays one of the Oliver's friends. So sometimes more than one role. Now, in this story, this is what happens. I think we can, in this story, we can put ourselves not, not in one role, but in two different roles as we look at that. And that's what we're going to do as we look through it. So the first, we're going to start by putting ourselves in the role of the Samaritan. This I think this passage teaches us that we need to be like the Samaritan man. It's showing us how to live out the great commandment to love our neighbour. You could say it's an ethical approach to living out our Christian lives in terms of how we are to love others. So we're going to look at that. So in the great commandment and at the start of this passage... 
You see the lawyer going, oh, I need to love my neighbour as myself. And as I was reflecting on it this week, that's, a, that's quite a big order in and of itself. Jesus is saying to the lawyer and he's saying to us, look at how much concern you have for your own well-being. Now my command to the lawyer and my command to all of us is to take all the passion you have for your own well-being to seek your neighbour's well-being. I found reading John Piper on this both incredibly helpful but also very challenging. This is what Piper says. Do we seek to satisfy our hunger? Then we must, with a similar life and death urgency, feed our hungry neighbour. Do we long for the advancement in the company? Then we must seek out ways to give others as much opportunity and to stir up their will to achieve. Do we love to make A's on tests? Then we must tutor the poor student who would love it no less. Do we hate to be laughed at and mocked? Then never let there be found on our lips a slanderous word, but rather words of encouragement. He goes on to say this. As I see it, the meaning of the command, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, is this. Our Lord is aiming to call into being loving, compassionate, merciful men and women whose hearts summon them irresistibly into action when there is suffering within their reach. And that to that end, he demands that they again and again ask themselves this question, am I desiring and seeking the temporal and eternal good of my neighbour with the same zeal, ingenuity and perseverance that I seek my own? A command to us as believers is to love others as we love ourselves and to extend mercy to others. But this isn't just a challenge to our heart attitude. From this story, it's a, it's a challenge to live it out with, with action. I was reminded of the title of a book by a guy called Bob Goff, and the book is called Love Does. Like love has legs. Love does something. So let's, let's for a moment take a look at what does a Samaritan do? So in the... In this story, we, say, we see that the Samaritan was on his way, and as he's on his way, he stops. He allowed himself to be interrupted, and he was also willing to go out of his way to take him to an inn. And um, many of, I was reminded of Varhe. So, about November last year, was it Varhe? January. January. So in the middle of winter, Varhe was out on a basketball court practicing his shots when he fell and he broke his pelvis and his arm and was laying on a basketball court in the cold unable to move and a lady I was thinking the lady must have been on her way because you don't really go out on January just for fun do you you're, you're normally on your way this lady stops and comes to him I mean I think we all loved that lady we never met her but because she was willing to be interrupted to help someone in need and it was, very, it was very precious knowing she'd done that for someone we know and love. And I was, as I was preparing this week, I was, I was just like going, God, how do, we, how do we be the good Samaritan to people? Like, there's so many people. How do we help? And I, I just felt like almost God's whisper to me, and I, I think for us, be 
interruptible to the people God has already put in your path. Like as you are on your way to work, as you are on your way through the work canteen, as you are on your way to walk the dog, as you are on your way to buy a newspaper, as you are on your way, allow God to interrupt you. I think it's more challenging in today's world because we're often either in a metal box called a car or on a bike. It's quite hard to be interrupted when you're in a car and if someone crashes into you. So maybe even it's an encouragement to go, well, where, where are the places where you walk? Where are the places where you could walk? I know for me, I've had more opportunities to talk to people and be interrupted when I'm walking the dog than I have ever when I'm on something in, with wheels. So yeah, think, think about where, where, are you, where would God want to interrupt you? Second in the story, we see that the Samaritans showed mercy who, to someone who'd had their possessions taken from them who had, and who had been beaten to someone in pain. Now sometimes it's obvious when someone is in pain. It was obvious this lady walking past Varhe that he was in pain because it was a physical pain. It's less obvious, isn't it, when people are in pain because they've had everything taken from them or because they've been beaten, or they've been abused. So I think we do want to be interruptible, but I think it's also about asking the Spirit of God to reveal to us, who, who's, who is walking right near me who's in pain that you want my, to open my eyes to see? The other day I was in a, in a restaurant, I got st- talking to the lady who was serving me. <coughs> she found out that she's moved over here, leaving her four children in another country to try and earn enough money to bring them over. She was in pain. It's like, who does God want to use you to interrupt your life to show mercy to those in pain? So first, be interruptible. Second, ask God to open your eyes. And thirdly, we see the Samaritan used his own resources. He used his oil, his wine, his money. It wasn't just his time he gave up. And I think there is a challenge and call on us, isn't there, to use our homes, our possessions, our money to achieve what we think is best for our neighbour, not just to achieve stuff for ourselves. In this story, Jesus is reinforcing the call to love others like ourselves by extending mercy to them. And this is at a cost to ourselves. But Jesus is also doing something even more challenging in this story. He is redefining who our neighbour is. He is calling us to show mercy across cultural boundaries. As I mentioned before, the Jew and the Samaritan were enemies. They hated each other. And in this story, we see the oppressed show mercy to the oppressor. And I was like struggling to get my head around how massive this is today. And I was thinking, what would be other contexts we might see this? How about a white coloniser being helped by a black freedom fighter? Or how about a Palestinian person putting their life at risk to save an Israeli soldier? That is what this story is like. Jesus is calling us not just to show mercy to our friends and our family and people who look like us and people who speak like us. He's going, no, no, no. You're, you don't choose your neighbour. It, it's not, you're like, who, do you, who am I calling you to be a neighbour to? a call to love not just those we choose but a call to love who he chooses and if we look at the big story of the bible 
we see that God has always wanted a people made up from every tribe and language and tongue to be united under Christ to be a blessing to the nations. And this, is, this, po- this story is pointing us towards what Jesus will accomplish on the cross, which will mean there is no longer Jews who are in and Gentiles who are out. It's pointing to the passage in Ephesians 2.13 where it says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus has broken down the barriers and the call on us as people of God is not to put those barriers back up that he has already torn down. The call is to extend acceptance and love to one another. And it's beautiful. In John 13, 24, it says, When we love each other like this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. A friend was telling me last week, the, the family of churches we're a part of, they, some of the kind of more senior leaders went away together. And there's people from countries all around the world. Some of the people lead churches in Russia and some of them lead churches in Ukraine. And he said there was this moment when this Ukrainian pastor saw this Russian pastor and they walked together and embraced. That moment points to a saviour. It points that they are his disciples. It points to one new man in Christ. And that shouts to a world that wars. It points to a God who wants to bring peace. So to summarise, we're called to love our neighbours like ourselves. It's about being interruptible. It's about showing mercy. And it's about using our resources, not just for people who look like us, but for people of different languages, tongues, religions, cultures. Before we we move on to the next bit, I just want to just say something to our church community. I was looking yesterday, we're currently made up of 14 different nationalities. At times, I think there's been 20 nationalities in this room. From We've got Ireland in the north to South Africa in the south. We've got Philippines in the east to the US in the west. And there is so much beauty in our diversity. And I think our difference is something we want to celebrate. But also in our difference, there is lots of room for misunderstanding because the way we do things in our cultures is different. The way we speak, the way we celebrate, the way we mourn. And so without knowing it, we can very easily offend each other. And I just want to encourage us as a community to continually show mercy to one another, where we may be misunderstand each other because of our cultural differences let's let's be a people who work hard to extend mercy okay let's look at the second role we play in the story so in this last scene we've been cast in the role of the samaritan man called to extend mercy but many theologians also say that jesus is telling this story to illustrate that he is the good samaritan is to illustrate what he came to do. So in this scene, we step from being, putting ourselves in the, in the kind of place of the Samaritan, we are now the beaten, wounded person on the road, and Jesus is the Samaritan who comes to rescue us. In the story, the Jewish man is unable to rescue himself. He needed an self-sacrificing, unexpected love 
He needed a saving agent to break in from outside to save him, disregarding the cost to himself. And in our story, we are unable to rescue ourselves from our sin. We have no way out of our own mess. And we needed a costly demonstration of self-sacrificing, unexpected love. In our story, the saving agent is Jesus dying on the cross. He breaks in to save us, disregarding the cost to himself for our salvation. In the story, the Samaritan shows his costly love by stooping to lift. He dirties himself to clean his wounds. He gives of himself to save him. And we see the same thing in our story with Jesus. Jesus stoops to lift us. He dirties himself, taking our sin to clean us. He gives in the most sacrificial way possible, giving his life to save us. And this story shows us that we contribute nothing. The Samaritan man contributed nothing to his rescue. And in, through this story, Jesus is trying to say, you contribute nothing to your rescue. The lawyer asked the question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? But can you see the flaw in the question? What can anyone do to inherit anything? Inheritance comes from being a son or a daughter and no amount of doing can make you a son or a daughter. Jesus was letting the lawyer know that eternal life is a gift you receive freely. It is nothing you work to achieve. No amount of temple going, no amount of even loving your neighbour can save you. Only the finished work of Jesus on the cross can save you. So the question is not what can I do, the question is what can I receive? <clears throat> Salvation we have is a gift to us and no amount of church going, people loving, can make us more acceptable to our saviour. It's a gift. Jesus demonstrated in this story that salvation is a gift and as we have been freely given, we are to freely give. I don't know if when you read this, you feel slightly overwhelmed by loving people like he loves us. I did this week, I felt that. I was like, oh God, how do I do this? The call to love people so selflessly. And I think what the lawyer was challenged to do, to show mercy to everyone, was beyond his capacity. And as followers of Jesus, I think the call to love people like Jesus loves is also beyond ours. And that's where I found it really fascinating that this story is followed by the story of Mary and Martha. So in this story, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus as a learner, as a disciple. We see her devotion to him. And I think that our devotion in following the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, enables us to do the second, to love our neighbours as ourselves. In the book I showed you earlier, it says this, Experience dictates that it is very hard to love the, ungodly, the unlovely neighbour, until the disciple's heart is filled with the love of God, which provides the energy and motivation necessary for the arduous task of loving the neighbour. 
Often the motives of the one who serves are misunderstood by the recipient of that love, who then responds with hostility rather than gratitude. If the one who serves is hoping to be sustained by the responses received, and if the expected responses are not forthcoming, then the person may well give up in frustration and disappointment. But if costly acts of love are extended to others out of gratitude for the love of God, then the believer is sustained by the unwavering love of God towards him or her. The same saviour who rescues us is the one who enables us to love. As his love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. As the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the kindness, the gentleness of Galatians 5.22 grows in our lives. He enables us to love like he loves us. So when it says, go and do likewise, go and show mercy, he knows that's beyond our capacity, that we can never achieve this in our own strength because we're never supposed to. We need to come to the source of love. We need to sit at his feet. We need to let his love pour into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And then that love to overflow to others. So as I finish, um, I want to encourage you to keep coming to him. Keep sitting at his feet. Keep experiencing his amazing love for you. Come and know his grace, which forgives your sins so that you can extend grace to others forgiving their imperfections, their wrongdoings, knowing that you have been forgiven and the call on you is then to forgive. Come to him and know his acceptance of you so that you are willing to extend that acceptance to others. Challenging your own prejudice, your own worldviews, your own upbringing, the wrongdoing that's been done to you or your people group. Come to him to let your inability to love be changed by the power of his spirit as his love is poured into your hearts so i'm going to finish here and hand over to phil and we're going to break bread together um but i'm going to is that all right hand over to you <coughs>